Basically, everywhere uh, you go now, uh, or if you turn on the TV, you see images of Santa Claus. Um, I've noticed this morning as I came in, and uh, even along our, our road here, we have them. And those images, of course, uh, are, are based upon Clement Moore's uh, view of St. Nicholas and uh, from the night before Christmas. And so that's what uh, a lot of people picture. Um, Tuesday is actually St. Nicholas Day. Now, I'm not telling you that for you to start celebrating. We don't celebrate saints' days, okay? Just noting that. Um, and, and yet, um, there is uh, a story about Nicholas that... Uh, I, I just simply must share with you. Uh, a lot of folks don't know that uh, Nicholas was actually a bishop in the church, and uh, he was in uh, the city of Myra, which is uh, in modern-day Turkey. And uh, he was at uh, called to a council meeting of bishops, now, that, that was a pretty big deal. Uh, traveling wasn't that easy. And uh, so uh, they, they called for a, a reason. These bishops and 300 of them came. Now, that's like our, uh, uh, well, it's smaller than our General Assembly, but let's just say in that day and age it would be more important than our General Assembly that uh, took place uh, back then. In the course of the meeting, uh, Nicholas, uh, there was a debate going on. And Nicholas was listening to somebody in this debate, and he got so upset that he got up in front of these 300 bishops, and he walked across the assembly room where they were meeting and he slapped this guy across the face. I love that story. <laughs> now you'll find out why later. That's right, he, he clocked him. Now, he got in trouble and he was sorry that was his response. But I got to tell you, as I read it, he went up a few notches in my hero book. That's the kind of Santa that, uh, you know, we, we want to follow. Now, just put that on the side burner for now. You're wondering, why does this thrill him so much? Just put it on the side burner for now. Um, the verse that we have been using as our overall umbrella verse for uh, our Advent season that started last week is uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, <coughs> yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And today we're going to focus on that the, the last week we talked about this, this grace that they knew of and whether we know of that same grace. 
And today we're going to focus on that second phrase, though he was rich. Next week we're going to be talking about the incarnation, which is um, it, it's one of my favorite doctrines uh, of all. That's God becoming flesh. But I would contend that unless we understand the phrase that we are on this week, though he was rich, unless we begin to grasp that, we will never grasp the importance of the incarnation of God becoming flesh. So let's read, and we're going to use uh, Philippians 2 as one of our references today. And here's what I want you to notice as I, as I read through this. Uh, a lot of times, and you've, you've heard me say uh, many times that uh, right doctrine should lead to right living, that good doctrine always has an application. Um, what, we, what we see in this passage is that uh, instead of teaching a doctrine and then giving an application to it, which is a typical way of teaching and preaching and so on, what Paul does is he starts with an application and then he works his way back to the doctrine, and, and this one in particular is pertaining to Christ. So we're in Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among uh, yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the uh, form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we would pray that this passage and these passages that we will look at, that you would open them up, that uh, we would understand why you saw fit to preserve them, that you yourself would be our teacher, and that you would apply them to our hearts. And we pray this 
In Jesus' precious name, amen. So to understand his riches, I want us to uh, cope with the question, uh, what was Jesus doing before the incarnation? This time of year, we uh, often will, will start with uh, God becoming flesh and dwelling among us, and we will talk about that. that is the, that's the core of what uh, the Advent season is. But as uh, Paul referred to, uh, he starts back with, uh, though he was rich. So what was Jesus? Where, where was he? What, what was he doing? Well, there are, there are misconceptions about that, and, and these are serious. They, they lead to dangerous positions if, uh, if one were to take them. For instance, there are those that would teach that Jesus was actually created. He was a created being. Now, some would say he was the first created being, but nevertheless, they would claim that Jesus was created. Others would say that uh, Jesus began when he was born here on this earth. Makes sense from a human perspective, but leads to a dangerous view of who Jesus is. And that position is taken specifically to undercut the fact that he possessed all riches. Or another misconception is that uh, he was born and then God the Father chose him to be the Savior. And then he was, after he completed his work, he was then rewarded. Now, you will find uh, those misconceptions all over the place. You will find them in, uh, in churches that don't preach from the Bible or don't use the Bible. But you will also find them prevalent uh, among cults. And so here's, here's something you can, you can remember and you can take with you. If you're ever wondering when you talk with someone whether they are in a cult, in other words, not in uh, Christianity, even though they're talking about Jesus, even though they may be using some of the very same words that we use, and you're wondering, but there seems like there's something off here. And you're wondering whether it is uh, actually a cult. Talk to them about the nature of Christ. And it will come out. That's where you will, you will see them take a, a right or a left turn away from, from what the Bible says. We'll, we'll actually mention uh, one earlier. But those are, those are some of the misconceptions. So let's not spend our time on that, but instead see what the, the biblical view of what Jesus was doing before the incarnation. 
Uh, now, let me just throw out a term here, and it, it will make sense. If you're not familiar with the incarnation, we're going to be going into it next week, but just remember, God becomes flesh. That's the incarnation. And so what we're going to talk about today is not what he did after, but his pre-incarnate activities before the incarnation. Where was he? What was he doing in eternity? Now, one of the things we need to cope with uh, right up front is what, uh, what I think is an important clarification. Uh, some of the older versions of Scripture, uh, and I, when I uh, was first in a Bible-believing church, right in the middle there where our cross is, it had John 3.16, and there was uh, in that version of John 3.16, only begotten, the phrase only begotten. And so uh, that puzzled me and uh, to some degree still puzzles me. But, but we've got to cope with that, that whole idea of how, how does that term only begotten pertain to Jesus? If he wasn't born, what's that mean that he was only begotten? There was a 4th century bishop named Arius, and uh, he was doing some teaching about Jesus. And because of the teaching he was doing, there was some controversy. There were many that were saying, what, what you're teaching isn't really accurate. And so... A council was called. It was in 325. Constantine called the council, and Arius was uh, that teacher. They, the councils were for this purpose, to debate and decide on important doctrines. Now, they didn't take place very often, that's why they were so important. One of those in attendance in addition to Arius was, you guessed it, Nicholas. So Arius is, uh, he has the floor and he is just waxing eloquent about how Jesus is less than God. Jesus is not equal with God. And he was going on and on until Nicholas couldn't take it any longer. <laughs> and Nicholas got up, and you heard the story earlier. He walked across and he slapped him right in the face. Now he had to repent of that, but he was about to explode. And what I, what I love about that is that he lost himself, Nicholas did, in his passion for truth. Now, he knew he didn't do the right thing. That wasn't going to fix it, just slapping the guy. I'm not recommending it. 
Although I wish Nicholas was around today for... (laughs) Some of uh, the preachers that are watering down the gospel and... Anyway, um, he's not around today and uh, I'm not sure we should follow that, that part of his example. But that was the Nicene, uh, the Council of Nicaea. Now that may sound familiar because we sometimes use the Nicene Creed here. Here's what they came up with. And it wasn't Arius' position. Here's what they said. Maybe the next time we use it, it will make a little more sense. We, and we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. Now, that the whole idea of being of one substance is this, that Everything that it is to be God, God the Father is. And everything that it means to be God, Jesus Christ is. Because they are one, the same in substance. That's how the Confe- our Westminster Confession says it. And by the way, everything that it is to be God, the Holy Spirit is as well. So, that's, that's what they are saying there. In fact, even in our hymn earlier, O come all ye faithful, very God, begotten, not created, right there from the Nicene Creed. So, personally, this is my preference. Personally, I prefer not even to use the word begotten pertaining to Jesus. Now, I'm in a minority. I don't think it's wrong to, but the 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 reason I don't like to use it generally is uh, because most people think begotten means born in the sense that we think of it. So what we, what we need to remember if we, if we use that term, use the term only begotten, the only one that way, and understand that yes, he was, he was born as a human being, but he was never born when it comes to his deity. He was and is and forevermore shall be. That's the nature of Jesus. So if he's eternally God, then there was never a time when he was literally begotten or born in the way we use it. So it's more of a figurative sense. And when we talk about him being only begotten, just think of, uh, instead of only, just think of uniquely. Uniquely begotten. He's fully divine and eternal. He is God the Son. Now how do we know that? Where did, where did they come up with that and why, why do I have the authority to stand here and say it? I don't have the authority. This is from the Word of God. In John 1, verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. Jesus was eternal. He wasn't invented. He wasn't created when He came to earth. 
and then somehow promoted to deity. He was from eternity to eternity, no beginning and no end. Remember, he had all the, he had all the riches, though he was rich. Now this is significant because it shows the kind of humility Jesus had to go from the infinite to the finite. And that's what we'll talk about next week. But we don't, we don't understand what he gave up to be finite until we understand this infinite more than we sometimes think about. In Philippians uh, 2, verse 5 and 6, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now here's what that means. It's just saying, here he is, he is God. This is pre-incarnate. And he didn't have to try to become God or to seek after the qualities of God. He didn't have to grasp for those because he possessed them. That's what it means. Though he was rich. So he had all of the qualities, all of the attributes of God. John 6, 38. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He was born here on this earth, but he, where was he before? He came down from heaven, veiled in flesh, the Godhead, see? Hail the incarnate deity. So what was he doing? What were his activities? Again, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. We find out later in this passage the Word is, is Jesus. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Now, this is one of those places where the cults like to mess with this passage of Scripture. And here's what some of them say. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. One little word, a God, instead of, in other words, one among many, Instead of, he was God. So, be very careful on these key passages. He was in the beginning with God. All things, here's what he was doing, were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He made all things. He was the creator. Now, I don't think we think of that a lot of times. I think we, we think, well, the Father was the creator, the Son came as the Redeemer. The Holy Spirit uh, empowers to carry out the mission. He indwells. All those are true. But here's what we need to, to understand with it. Yes, the Father is the Creator. But the Scripture makes it very clear Jesus is the Creator as well. Colossians 1, verse 16. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions, 
or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And that's talking about Jesus. So when we talk about him, we can never talk about him as being created because he is the creator. And he is the sustainer of the universe. He had, when we talk about the attributes, he had the, the three omnis, omnipotent, all power, omniscient, all knowing, and omnipresent, present everywhere. Now, that last one, he possessed, but it changed when he became incarnate. He was present where the body the Father gave to him was. And that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. So he is, in essence, still omnipresent. Again, the Westminster Confession says he was spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. All of those qualities that we attribute to the Father, Jesus had, and that's why he was rich. Now, I'm going to give you a threefold application here. The first one is the application that Paul gave to begin this chapter, and that's humility. Have this mind, verse 5 in Philippians 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And so here's what he's saying. Because Jesus had all of this, he had everything, he had it all, and he chose to set it aside. He didn't lose it. He chose to set it aside to come to this earth. Because of that, Paul says, behold the humility, and we should have humility toward one another. So that's, that was even in one of our hymns today as well, as an application when we see that he had it all and set it aside. Secondly, the reasons I told you about the common misconceptions earlier, that some say he was created or he began when he was born or he was born then chosen to be Savior, is because if we go any of those routes, if we start with Jesus here on earth, we will never have a right appreciation for the incarnation. Unless we recognize that he possessed all riches, and this isn't talking about money, it, it's, it's everything, it is the universe, and it is the power to create and then sustain the universe. Unless we recognize he had that, we'll never understand how long of a trip it was for him to dwell in the flesh, which we'll focus on. You see why Bishop Nicholas got so upset at Arius? We cannot compromise this doctrine, not one bit. Because if we do, we will take the very heart out of who Jesus is.
and remove his ability to save. We can't do that. We cannot. Sometimes people joke about uh, saying, you know, I, I really like the baby Jesus. In fact, I think I like the baby Jesus better than the, the grown-up Jesus. That was in a movie. I'm not going to tell you what movie because you don't want to see it. And I'm shocked that any of you recognize that too. <laughs> But if you don't like the grown-up Jesus, then you really won't like the pre-incarnate Jesus. And you really, really won't like the Jesus that is coming again in a second advent to judge the world and the universe and those who are not trusting in him alone. Third application. Some of you struggle with uh, whether Jesus could accept you because of the things you've done in your life. Some of you have shared that with me. Or some of you are just insecure about why would he love me? I've got nothing to offer. I could never be good enough for Jesus. Now that last statement is true. You could never be good enough for Jesus. But he was good enough to cover anything you have ever done and anything you can conceive of doing. He was good enough. And that was his mission. To come for those who would trust him alone for their salvation. Are you worthy? No. But know this. He left the riches of heaven for you. And that means he is worthy of your worship.